So Chris and Josh are taking the children with them today, and the rest of us are staying in here, and we're going to once again return to the Gospel of John. And this week, we leap forward to chapter 11, where we're going to find then the fifth I am statement made by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, as a quick review, we have recovered four of the seven I am statements that recorded exclusively in the Gospel of John. You're going to see them come up rather quickly behind me. The first week, we recognized and noticed the first written in John chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus shared with the people at the Feast of Tabernacles. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The second was found in John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then last week, we recognized in chapter 10, there was not one but two more I am statements. In fact, they were repetitious in nature. We found in chapter 10, verse 7, he said, I am the door of the sheep. Repeated such in verse 9, the 10th chapter. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Also, then the fourth I am statement also found in chapter 10, verse 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, repeated in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So four of the seven have been covered so far. We have a few more to go. Obviously, today we go to the fifth. We're going to find it in chapter 11. As we turn there, we're going to find that Jesus makes this particular statement unlike the others because the others were made upon a festival or celebration and this is a different setting it happens to be the setting you may ask what is it in which he takes this occasion to make the fifth i am statement it happens to be this bold declaration upon the death of his friend lazarus and upon the time that he takes an opportunity to rise lazarus from the dead we're going to find that written in chapter 11 verse 25 in mark's text we're reading today so stand with me this morning as we simply do to honor the reading of the word. We're only getting a small portion of the account pertaining to the death of Lazarus and Jesus raising him from the dead. We're going to start in verse 17 and read through verse 27. Again, a very small segment of a very long chapter that tells us of this miracle. We find then in chapter 11, starting verse 17, these words. Now when Jesus came... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What Jesus said to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. What Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What then Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Well, Father, Lord, we take an opportunity here this morning to read a brief portion 
of a long chapter that gives us this fifth I am statement, a very powerful statement, Lord, but yet comforting to people who need to receive your love and know that, yes, you are the resurrection and the life. And it's how we pass from one earthly life to eternity. So we pray, Lord, today that as we entertain this passage and as we receive this message you've chosen for us to hear today, that we truly take it to heart. And be one here today, Lord, who have not yet received that, that transition into eternity from a death of physical life, I pray, Lord, they receive that today so they know they can live everlasting in heaven with you. Lord, thank you for being good to us and what we shall learn and apply today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, note that from the verses that we read, again, a small portion of a very long chapter in chapter 11 pertaining to the rising of Lazarus, that Martha, in the verses we've read particularly, is the person of interest. I mean, yeah, the overall account, it will be about Lazarus and Jesus. He is raising him from the dead. But in the limited 10, 11 verses we read, we find it focuses upon Martha. Now, to make sure we connect the Gospels and understand exactly who Martha is, it's worth taking a little bit of a time out and allow me to refer to a well-known text about the sisters referred to in the text of Martha and Mary. Because it's found then that they're connected directly. It's the same set of sisters in Luke chapter 10. You don't have to turn there, but you'll see behind me the reading, especially at the end of the chapter, pertaining to Martha and to Mary. Now, it's written here that Martha, was busy preparing for the coming of Jesus to visit the house. You may recall that she made herself busy, that Mary was the one who actually was sitting at the feet of Jesus and just listening and clinging to his every word, as mentioned in verse 39. Which then, according to the account written in Luke chapter 10, it upset Martha. It upset Martha because Mary was with Jesus, clinging to his every word. Martha was busy making arrangements. And she was upset that her sister was not helping. So then Martha complained to Jesus about her sister in verse 40. And Jesus replied then to Martha in verse 41 and 42. He said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So the account written in Luke chapter 10, now over to John chapter 11, this is the same Mary, this is the same Martha. It's kind of the Martha we're focusing on in this portion of the text pertaining to the raising of Elijah. Now to be fair, we're not intentionally trying to neglect Mary from the account or to focus upon her because she actually comes back in the scene after we stopped at verse 27. In verse 28, she comes back into the scene and more is written about her as well, and maybe you can read about that later if you read the entire account of John chapter 11. But then the reason then we're limited in our reading in only 10, 11 verses of the midsection of a larger narrative is because we want to focus upon the conversation between Martha and between Jesus, particularly the statement that Jesus makes to Martha shortly after he arrives is our featured I am statement, the fifth of the seven, is found in verse, again, in verse 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He mentions this to Martha. Now, everybody within the earshot is hearing it, yes, as well. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This verse 
is the key verse to the entire chapter and in the entire account and narrative pertaining to the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But before then we focus upon this key verse, let's go back to the beginning of a reading, verse 17, because as we go back to the reading and begin to unfold it, we find there's a secondary application that emerges before we get to verse 25. So observe then, if a reader begins where we did this morning, if you don't begin at the beginning of chapter 11 and just leap down to where we did, there you went quickly. I mean, if you didn't know about the connection between Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, you begin to discern there must be something happening. That they have a brother named Lazarus. And that he is indeed passed. You go back to verse 17 where we started reading, you find that, well, it informs us really quickly that it has been four days that Lazarus apparently has passed and been placed into the tomb. Verse 18 quickly adds by the narrator that Jesus is nearby. He's in Bethany, about two miles away. The King James actually says 15 furlongs, but in our understanding, it's about two miles away from Jerusalem where they are to Bethany. Additionally, it's also important to know that many people have come to mourn and grieve Martha and Mary with the loss of their brother Lazarus. That's been verse 19. That many people had come, many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, side note, rather quickly to interject this, is that then it reveals, with many people coming, it reveals that Lazarus, as well as Mary and Martha, then also must have been well known. And there's no private period of mourning. In fact, we sense that nearly the entire community has come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them with the loss of their brother. So suffice it to say then, a large group, it's important to note this, a large group is gathering together to help Mary and Martha through their time of loss of their brother. And Jesus is about to make a statement. He hasn't made it yet according to the text, but we know he will. But a large group is gathering together to help Mary and Martha as they console the loss of their brother. But as all this information is given, we see then the narrator inform us that the reader that Jesus is about to arrive, verse 20 and 21. Note verse 20. Then Martha hears word, however she hears it, that Jesus is approaching, and she runs out to meet him. Now, we can't quite picture the scenery in the hillside. Uh, Candy and Roger are about to go to Israel. They may get a picture of this somewhat when they go, but it's hard for us to see how it would have been laid out at a particular time. So I borrow the words of Kent Hughes because he kind of paints a picture of how maybe these things are transpiring. He says, Martha had evidently been quietly awake, made quietly aware that our Lord was outside Bethany. She probably slipped out unobtrusively and went to the outskirts of town to meet him. There she stood, pale, grieving, weary, no doubt disheveled. Behind her was a shimmering Palestinian countryside in its heat. Before her, Heavy with the dust of travel were Jesus Christ and his men. So she, she went to him. I like to borrow those words because it kind of gives us a picture of, of how Martha went to see Jesus. And, and you know, she wasn't maybe walking casually about. I mean, she was trying to find Jesus, and maybe she was running literally to Jesus, full of grief, full of sorrow, and perhaps even weary from the lack of rest that she had received from the death of her brother. So she finds and hears and goes and sees Jesus. Notice what happens next in verse 21. What she says to him. 
Remarkably, when she sees Jesus and she goes to him and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we don't, we're not at the scene. So we don't know in what context and what, what voice maybe she would express that. We, we can't find out whether it was, it's, it's anger or whether it's just like seeking comfort or in what way she may express it. But just the words itself is remarkable to me. I mean, it bears the fact that we should stop and maybe reflect a minute. Because she says simply, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And as we begin thinking about that last week, I, I thought, well, in, in the situation with Mary and Martha, I mean, this is Martha, yes, but in the situation with her sisters together with the death of the brother Lazarus, I can only imagine that maybe those kind of words have been coming off their several times in the last several days. I mean, their mind would have maybe been gravitating to the fact that what if, what, what if Jesus had got here? And that's not entirely speculative to think that maybe they were going through some sort of emotional distraught moment and, and begin to wonder what if. Because both Mary and Martha had already told or expressed to Jesus somehow, some way, that Lazarus was ill. So it's completely possible that as this all was transpiring with the death of the brother, that they were beginning to wonder, I mean, what would have happened had he had been here? If Jesus would have been here, what would have happened? And it's not speculative to think that. Look back in the early part of the chapter. In verse 3, the sisters sent to him. Jesus begins to learn somehow away from the sisters, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So in verse 17, that's the first time that Jesus finds out about it in the text that we read. Verse 5 and 6 even adds, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard then, listen, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now when you take that consideration with what Mary and Martha has told him, Lord, if you'd been here, you would not die. You think, well, they may have been going through some scenarios in their mind, expressing, coming from their mouth, their lips, that what if, what if he would have been here? And so they've told him, he, Jesus knew, he waited two more days before he came. So picture in your mind, if you will, a couple of sisters who has sent word to Jesus the person he loves, his friend was ill. And they're eagerly waiting and anticipating Jesus to arrive at any minute. And then they're waiting. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. And as they're waiting, what do they have to do? I mean, when you stop and think about their moment, their day, when they had told Jesus and Jesus learned that their friend Lazarus was ill and they're waiting in for Jesus to come, that's all they could do was wait. I mean, they didn't have Facebook to occupy their time, right? They, they didn't have the Nintendo Switch that sometimes occupies a lot of teenagers' minds and my wife, Sheila. She's not here, actually, right now. She's going to get a pizza. There was no TV, there was no book, there was no newspapers, there was no crossword puzzles, there was no word search. All the things that we typically do when we have to wait 
unless you're at McDonald's. So you know when you're at McDonald's and you have to wait, they pull you up and they have you wait a little bit longer to bring out the food. What do you do? You complain about waiting, or the person next to you will start talking to you about something that happened to them, or if you're by yourself, you don't talk to yourself, you get on your phone and you go to Facebook or do whatever, and they finally bring out the food. But they didn't have any of this then. So all they had to do with their time was wait expectantly and eagerly for the arriving of Jesus. Now maybe then as we attempt to put ourselves in that text, the wait had been so agonizingly long they begin to wonder, when will the Lord get here? I mean, I know he has to come. It's his friend, it's Lazarus. But when will he get here? Notice Martha's words that go back to verse 21. When will he get here? Martha's words were almost a reproof. I mean, it's almost critical and unfavorable, if you will, to the Lord. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's almost critical in the nature if you receive it that way. But in verse 22, if it was, it kind of she caught herself. But she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So at first she maybe was somewhat honest. And she had the honest thought expressed maybe at first. And then she decided maybe to ease it up a bit. I mean, after all, this is Jesus. And maybe a little more sympathetic. But when you think about their situation, and begin to ask yourself, how would you have felt? And then have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt, and anything has ever happened to you in whatever aspect of life that you are, whatever age that you are, have you ever said, Lord, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? You came too late. You wouldn't hear my loved one die. Where were you when my marriage dissolved? Where were you when my parents divorced? Where were you when my father became an alcoholic? Where were you when I was cheated out of my promotion? Where were you when my child went astray? See, we try to put ourselves maybe not in the exact same position as Martha and Mary, but in a similar position, we turn out really soon then that we've all been waiting at some point in life and praying and asking, where are you? Or where were you? Where were you, Lord, when I needed you? We're all perhaps a little guilty of that at some particular point in our life. Where were you, Lord, when I needed you? So if you've ever asked that question, notice and recognize, don't bring guilt upon yourself because you're not the first. And you certainly will not be the last. Because I would bet that many people have asked that very question, Lord, where are you? Where were you during a particular crisis in their life? You know, certainly people were asking the question 22 years ago when we watched. Well, the horrible, everything unfold when the planes flew into the World Trade Center, resulting then in the collapse, killing thousands of innocent people. You'd know people were asking, Lord, where are you? Where were you? 
Why did you let this happen? They had to be asking. And maybe we were even asking as we saw the things unfold. I can only imagine that people in the Ukraine have asked a similar question, Lord, where are you, when they're hearing the sirens from the next Russian missile attack. I was even thinking last week that perhaps the church in Germany, the Latter-day Saint in Germany, was shot, the government came into the church. And maybe even in the church that day, they were asking, Lord, where are you? I would imagine it has been asked by countless people when faced with a natural disaster, a hurricane, tornado, earthquake. 45,000 people have lost their lives in the, in the earthquake that went through Turkey. And I would believe that perhaps people were asking in the aftermath, Lord, where are you? Where were you? So I think it's safe to say that those, those particular questions where were you, Lord, or where are you, has been expressed in voice by people over the ages countless times. If it's not been expressed verbally, it's been uttered under people's breasts for generations. Note that even the psalmist in chapter 10, verse 1, even asked, Lord, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So where is the Lord? The question then begins to have to be asked. Where is the Lord during these things when they begin to unfold? Where, where was the Lord? Where, where was Jesus when Lazarus died? Where was the Lord Jesus when something happened to you or to me or someone you love? The answer is that he's not far away and that he is very near. And he's never too busy for you. Now, observing asked it. I mean, observed normally when we ask such a question, it, it, it's about when things don't go as we planned or we expected. I mean, we don't ask when things are going great. We don't ask God, "Where are you?" It's normally when things go awry and things don't go like we had hoped it would be. Something happens, a tragedy, or whatever. So we ask ourselves, or we actually ask people, "Where is the Lord? Where are you?" And as, many, as something bad begins to transpire and happen, it leads to the question, and it leads that we've got to have an answer. So it's our first application point, which is not the point of the text, but a secondary point that comes, and it's this. Where is he? Where's Jesus? Well, recognize he never leaves you. And recognize, secondly, how Jesus always comes. He will always be there. But you have to let him in. It's based upon Hebrews 13.5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that is the truth that we have got to believe. That Jesus never leaves us to endure the pain alone. Yeah, it, it, It's highly unfortunate that in our lives, if we haven't seen it, then we will. That bad things happen to good people. Incredibly unfair, incredibly unfortunate. But in the midst of the suffering for us or for them, we are not alone. Yes, we live in a fallen world. We live, in fact, on an unsafe planet. But we're never, never, never alone to fight our battles and to mourn and grieve on our own. Jesus never leaves you, 
and he's always there. In the text, Mary and Martha, they were anticipating the Lord to come. And notice that come he did. Now, was it in the timing which they were expecting? The text reveals it probably was not. But don't miss the fact that Jesus did come. He was there. And he's there for you. And whatever may be happening to your life. Again, Jesus always comes. He's always there. You have to let him in. Now notice, if you will, that as Martha here is kind of expressing where were you, notice then as we kind of filter back to the text that Jesus did not reprimand her for asking, implying, if only you would have come, he wouldn't have died. Notice looking back in verses 20, 21, 22, there's not a moment there where you find the Lord rebuke Martha for her words. I mean, scan the entire text. Read the chapter later. You won't find it. You won't find any reproof. So what that means then is that there's evidence here that Jesus, and listen, Jesus permits us to open our hearts and cry out to him. When, when something bad begins to happen, don't feel guilty that you may cry out to the Lord. It's maybe only natural that you may cry out your heart to him in pain and anguish. I mean, it, it kind of reveals to us, he don't reprimand Martha for saying what she said, so it reveals to us it's okay to pour out your heart to Jesus. I think I told you before, I, I'd be lying to you. When my father died from cancer, If I, I, I went to the deer stand that he hunted on, sat there for the afternoon and cried and poured out my heart to Jesus. So it's okay. It's not sinful to tell God how you feel. Now, as you do that, we remember to always be reverent to God. I mean, he is God. I mean, he is the creator. We are simply the creation. We are his creatures. And we'll bow down to him, as all men one day will. But the observation then is that Jesus did not rebuke, he did not reprove Martha for her words, but rather answered them. I mean, if all the things he could have done, he did not rebuke her at all. In fact, we find then that what he actually did is offered his comfort in an absolute truth. Look again and notice our Lord's words and Martha's response and subsequent confession. Again, verse 21, we've been focusing upon the fact that she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha heard verse 24, I know he will rise again in the res resurrection on the last day. I mean, as if she was basically saying, I, I know, of course he will, Lord. But what about the present day where I'm hurting? So then Jesus said to her a powerful, comforting truth in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Now, did she get it right off? We don't know that she did. But we find evidence that she did understand. But he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he, she die, yet he or she will live. It's the fifth of the seven I am statements in John's gospel. It's a very powerful truth. He gives to a woman in need who had just lost her brother. She's searching for meaning of her brother's death. 
And she's also then trying to, to work out the system and trying to work out in her mind why Jesus delayed coming to her side. It also provides for us the main point of the, of the passage in our second application. We can set forth the meaning as this. The fact that he says to her, I am a resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, that he shall live, means simply that he is. I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he or she dies. And he says, I am the life. That is, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. It's a very powerful yet comforting moment for, Mar for Martha. Now notice that after Jesus proclaims a particular truth to Martha, again expressed in verse 25, look at the text again and jump down to verse 26. At the end of verse 26, he asked Martha a question. Do you believe this? Jesus actually gave her a very powerful statement where he says, he, I am. He tells him that she, it is him. But he asked Martha at the very end, do you believe this? Now look at the response, verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So Martha maybe did completely understand. When he told her that powerful truth, comforting as it may be, yeah, maybe she understood it and got it. I mean, Martha, in, this, in, in her moment here, had been tested with the grief and the loss of her brother. And she asked the Lord to his face, essentially, where were you? And said, if only you had been here, my brother had not, wouldn't have died. But we ultimately see her faith. In the very end, we see Martha's faith emerge. And she allowed her Savior then to bring her forth as gold refined in fire. To help place that in perspective, I borrow the words of Lewis Foster. He capitalizes on the question, do you believe this? He said, Jesus put the question directly to Martha. And it was a hard question. Perhaps she did not understand all that Jesus meant. Her brother had believed in Jesus, and now he was dead. Yet Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And how could that be? But notice, Jesus did not ask if she understood. He asked if she believed, and she did. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. That was her response, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Foster says that covered everything. Understood or not, whatever the Christ said was true, such then was the faith of Martha. Martha has grown a lot. Referred earlier to the episode in Luke chapter 10, with the, and she's upset with her sister Mary for not helping her when Jesus came to the house. So Martha has now grown considerably in her faith. And maybe it's witnessed and shown here in John chapter 11. One commentary I read said Martha's confession was as great as Peter's. Referring then to Matthew chapter 16, when Peter responds to the question asked by Jesus, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am in Matthew 16? Particularly verse 13, he asked, who do people say the Son of Man is? Of what you may look at and may already know, 
Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. That's written in verse 14. But verse 15, Jesus narrows in the question and say, who do you say that I am? In which Peter steps up to the mic and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Scholars say Martha's moment was just a great confession as Peter's. That she believed in him. And what he said. We bring forth the same question for us today. We simply pause and ask ourselves, whom do you believe that Jesus truly to be? And we answer twofold saying that we learn from the text that Jesus, I mean, he is the resurrection and the life. That's what this text simply tells us, verse 25. It means who, who he or she who believes in him, even though he or she dies, will live. Whoever lives and believes in Jesus will never die. That's one truth you get from the passage. And the second, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, living God, our Savior. Peter has said it earlier, now Martha expresses the same thing. So we filter all that and now come to the point where we ask ourselves, do you believe this? Do all of us here today truly believe this? That's the question that Jesus asked Martha. He told her that he is the resurrection and life. Whoever comes to him shall not die. Then he asked her, do you believe this? We ask ourselves now the same question, do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe Jesus is the only Son of the living God? Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world? Do you believe? And we answer this, that as Christians, as believers, all of us collectively together, as our family, we must believe. We must believe this to be true. In the text we read today is a very powerful truth. Some refer to it as the most startling announcement of human history. Why could they say that? Why would people say this is the most startling announcement of human history? It's simply because the words of Lord Jesus here reveals the incredible truth that physical death, which all of us shall have, is not the end of a life of believer. Physical death is not the life, the end of life for a believer. We notice that Jesus is not denying, he's not saying you're gonna, not going to have a physical death, but rather he's saying, referring to a continuing existence to eternal life. And he makes that proclamation at another pivotal moment. When a large group of people, the community is gathered together to mourn the loss of a friend or brother named Lazarus. Jesus rises to the occasion once more so that everyone know that through him and through him only can you have eternal, everlasting life. To believe in Jesus means that death lies defeated. Let me say that again. To believe in Jesus Christ means that death lies defeated. 
It's essentially what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, towards the end of the chapter. He said, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? Do you believe? As Christians, as believers, we must believe. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message today, truth of the fifth I am statement of our seven, and of how it gives us eternity, how it offers us the resurrection and the life that only we can see, only we can receive through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray right now that as we gather together, as anybody listening later, as they're hearing this message, or as we're here now physically together, if anybody truly has never received Jesus, that they would do so before we'll be everlasting too late. Lord, there will be for each one of us, because of the wages of sin is death, there will be a day in which we will see no more, a day in which our earthly life comes to an end. So I pray, Lord, we recognize that we can have a continuing existence of life, eternal life, only through Jesus. And I pray for all of us collectively together, anybody listening later that day, would she receive Jesus in her heart today? So, Lord, if we've here this morning having received Jesus truly as Lord, I pray let's just enter a time of thankfulness as you offer us eternity, happiness with you. We thank you for the message today, Lord, that reveals the truth of having eternity together with you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.